Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whittaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you here with us today. I get an enormous amount of enjoyment from all of my guests on the podcast, and I also learn a lot from them too. The best way to learn is to ask questions and to be prepared to question your own beliefs and attitudes, to be vulnerable, to listen, to be open, honest, tolerant, and to be prepared to broaden your own perspective, and above all, to be receptive to change. This year in particular, an area that I and many others have learned more about is the issues around race, and as hairdressers, the direct impact that that has in terms of the training we get, the products we use, and the services we offer, particularly around textured hair. On today's podcast, my guest is the wonderful Mahogany Plouts, and amongst the many hats she wears is that of hairdresser, former suite owner, and a self-titled hair historian, an activist, and an educator for John Paul Mitchell Systems, as well as a mother and a wife and many other things. This episode was originally done as part of a series of live video recordings for Paul Mitchell, but I decided to repurpose it for the podcast as it's a great conversation. Originally, it went out on Facebook and YouTube, and so if you'd rather watch the video, just head on over to my YouTube channel at Grow My Salon Business and watch it there. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Mahogany. Thank you so much, Anthony. I'm so happy to be here. Good. I've been practicing my plouts several times, so I mean, I'm glad I got it right. It was perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> exactly how it's pronounced. It's a tricky one. Yeah, it is a little in there. Okay, so um, just to give the next uh, 45 minutes or so some context, could you sort of introduce yourself by way of giving us your sort of two-minute backstory uh, about who you are, where you've come from, et cetera, and then we can sort of dig in and and start talking about a very wide range of uh, of things that, you know, relate to you and your life as a hairdresser. Absolutely. So, hi, everybody. Um, I, uh, let's see, I've been a hairdresser for about 22 years. And I think one of my favorite things about being a hairdresser is, like, the opportunities that I have to, like, hang out with so many different people, right? Like, I absolutely get to get art and and business and all of that, but it's like all rolled up in like how I spend time with people. And that to me, I think has been really important. So I started my career uh, after I finished beauty school, I spent an entire year training under uh, one stylist. So I, I I really got the benefit of someone who had been doing hair for a long time. Um, So I got the benefit of not just understanding how it is that we cut color and style, but like how to run a business and how to run my chair. And I think that mm. that of it was really huge for me as I moved into then going on to rent my own chair, own my own suite, deciding to be an educator, doing my own types of education. It really helped me to have like agency over everything that was mine to do. Um, I also am a mom. I have a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old. They're both super weird and hilarious. And so like it's a joy being their mom most days, most days. I'll be honest, most days. Uh, I can relate to that. Right. Um, So it's uh, I live in Minneapolis. And I think one of the things that I love about Minneapolis is right now it's fall and it is gorgeous. Like we have so much green foliage and we love to like go out and hike and and run around on bikes and roller skate. Um, Fun fact about me, I used to be in the roller derby. So I used to like beat up, beat up other girls on, on roller skates, which was pretty fun. And I think that that's you know, I, I've never been one to just sit and, and, and chill. I'm always on the go. There's always something to do, whether it's traveling as an educator for Paul Mitchell or traveling with my family out to like remote islands in Canada. I think that, you know, it's all about just like seizing life and having the fun that you can have and balancing out as much of your 
work and life as you possibly can. Balance is kind of a myth to me, but I think I feel like finding a good rhythm, depending on um, where we are in our lives, I think is the most important piece. So I'm yeah, excited. I think, cool. Okay. I think that's really important what you just said about balance. A lot of people talk about that, don't they? Life balance. And it sounds such a thing, you know, it's like, I think rhythm, finding the right rhythm that works for you is, uh, is a good way to put that. Um, so I'm intrigued about your story into hairdressing. What was, what was that journey? Um, you know, how did, how did you find yourself in this industry? So, I mean, I've been in salons since I was very small. My Nana's best friend was a hairdresser. One of my mom's best friends was a hairdresser. And because, um, like, because my hair was a, a sort of an anomaly for my mom, she's a beautiful Scandinavian woman from Northern Minnesota, from a town of about seven, 800 people. So in the 1970s, when she had me, you know, there was not a lot, there was no YouTube, there was no natural hair community, there was no like information for her to go to. So some of the struggles that my mom and I had with our hair ended up really becoming some great defining ways of how our relationship, you know, grew. But I think what it did too, was it also made me very aware of like how I was treated when I went into certain salons. It made me very aware of like what the capabilities of my hair, like it felt really limiting. Um, but mm. so I think I ended up deciding to go to beauty school because I didn't want to feel that way anymore. I almost went to beauty school to find out how to take care of my own hair uh, because we yeah. didn't have, you know, the same education that we have now. And we didn't have the same goals that we do now with um, reaching, you know, straight, wavy, curly and extra curly hair. Right. So for me, that was really the biggest why. And I enjoyed beauty school. I was a little bit older when I went to beauty school. I was like 23, not, you know, fresh out of high school or anything. So I had some goals in mind. So I think that going into beauty school with some goals of, you know, I wanted, I was working in a salon as a receptionist. And I would stand behind the owner all the time and ask him, I'd be like, Stephen, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And finally, he just turned and he was like, go, go to school, dude, just go to school. And so I did. And it was awesome. It was really cool. And when I finished up, I spent a whole year, like, like I said, you know, spending that time working with him, but also working and learning about the other stylists in the, in the chairs around me and seeing how they developed their own personality like there was times Anthony where there would be folks who would come in and I would know just from their haircut like whose chair they sat in so they were it was cool to see all the different personalities craft their own art in the same salon and have it be cohesive and cool and interesting but like very much individual so I feel really lucky about not only just the owner that I worked for but like the entire community of salon it was like my salon family was really special to me yeah. Okay. Was it, was it predominantly a black hair salon or predominantly a white hair salon or? Yeah, predominantly it was a white salon. I worked in, uh, I was the only black person who worked in that salon. And so there was some interesting, <laughs> there was some really cool and really amazing things. I think one of the things that was awesome was that, you know, when you're in beauty school, we really learn most of our, our hair cutting techniques and trainings and all that on straight hair. So yeah. when I was coming in, I was able to build my clientele in this salon because I was really familiar with the textures that I was working on. But, you know, there was times where, you know, people would call, I like, I have a longtime friend and client, Katana, who has like the first time she called the salon, she was like, do you have anybody who can work with black hair? And the salon, uh, the salon receptionist answered and she was like, yeah, we do blue, we do green, we do purple, like we do all the colors, browns, reds, all that. And she was like, nah, hang on. Like, do you have someone who can work with black people's hair? And she was yeah. like, yeah, mahogany. <laughs> so it was awesome because, you know, I mean, it turned a moment that 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 can be a challenge for a lot of, you know, black women who are looking for stylists all over the world. Like when you are looking for a salon that you want to go to that is like maybe in your neighborhood or maybe you've heard friends, you know, love it and you want to be able to go there. Sometimes it can be intimidating to call and have to say, do you do black hair? Which I think is, you know, it's that's another goal I see moving you know, moving forward, there's so many more salons who are looking for that education right now. So I think it's really beautiful that we're taking these moments and evolving them into like anyone should be able to go to any place and get their hair done in in most ways. Like you should be able to get a cut. You should be able to get a color. You should be able to get a style. Now, there's definitely specialty things like locks and 
braids and twists and protective styles and those types of things that may not be for every stylist. But I think, you know, like if you're a cutter, you should be able to cut all the hair. And if you're a colorist, you should be able to color all the hair. And um, I think that that's something that has been really, you know, like something that I have been navigating a lot because most of the salons that I have worked in have been predominantly white salons. The salon that I work in now is pretty mixed. And I really love that uh, because we get to see all different kind of cultures uh, walking in and out of the salon. And that's really beautiful. And it can be really fun to be inspired by. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting thing, what you were just talking about then, because I know, especially in the last couple of years, there's been such a emphasis put on everyone should be able to do everything in terms of, you know, different hair types, work with different hair types. And and a client should be able to go to any salon and and get, you know, his or her hair done. And I I'm, I want to throw a different um, perspective on that. I mean, I, I guess I agree, but at the same time, I sort of go, I'm not sure because, you know, as a hairdresser, uh, I'm a hairdresser, uh, but I cut hair. I don't color hair. I've never colored hair. Um, and some people will be shocked by that. Uh, I've never been, I've never done bridal hair. Um, <laughs> I've never really put hair up. Now, a lot of this is my heritage where I worked, where I came from, that that was what those salons assumed was all about, that you either cut or you colored. At one point, they had cutters, colorists, and tinters, uh, 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 not uh, permers, sorry. So you either cut, you colored, or you permed in the, in yep. the 70s. Well, when I started there in the, at the very end of the 70s, they merged the, the tinters and the permers became one thing. So you were a technician or you were a stylist. And it was, a, you know, so, so my training, my background was always about cutting hair. But in, interestingly, you know, this was in the very early 80s uh, in London. Um, at Sassoon, you had to present a selection of models before you could go onto the floor after you had your test, etc. And you had to show at least one black model, uh, which is great. Okay. Uh, but here's the, here's the funny thing. You'll laugh about this, right? Every model, do you know what they were? Grace Jones, baby, come on down, come on down. Every, everyone was like Grace Jones, flat top, you know what I mean, from that right. sort of 80s look. And it was a really good discipline to work visually with hair because of that tight textured, you know, afroed hair. Um, and so everyone would just cut. You just had always, it was like, there's Grace Jones in the corner sort of thing. Um, and, and it was good. Uh, that, that people were sort of pushed out of their comfort zone to do that. But I suppose what I'm saying to you is this. From a discrimination point of view, I totally agree. You should be able to go to any salon anywhere and get whatever you want. I totally get that. But if you compare it to like a restaurant, and that's my favorite go-to analogy, it's like a restaurant does Mexican or they do Italian or they do French or they do Vietnamese. They all did food, like we all do hair. But if you go to a restaurant that does, you know, uh, French, Italian, Vietnamese, uh, uh, Spanish and Greek food, I would probably leave really quickly because it means they do, that they're not a master of any of them. And so I often think about the hair context, and I want you to talk to me about this. I want you to think about hair in that context because, you know, I, I, I'm about specialization and I know a lot of people are about specialization, but I totally get your background and where you come from. I mean, you mentioned your mum was Scandinavian, so fine, soft, probably dead straight hair. Um, yes. <laughs> your hair, yes, it's fine and soft, but very, very sort of different, you know? So, really? so I know that all your life you've been exposed to a lot more diversity about working with different textures and stuff. So, so talk to me about what I just said about that, about specialization and, and, and whether I'm right, wrong, you know, how does that fit in? Absolutely. Well, I don't know that I would say you're right or you're wrong. I feel like perspectives mm. are so unique. And I think that's what makes people, no matter where we come from, really special. And I think that's why I like to remain super open about these things. But from my perspective, I will say that I do think that, yes, 
it would be strange to have so many different like foods in a restaurant, but everybody's welcome to that restaurant, right? So like when I mm. think about cutting, for example, if you are a cutter, like if that's your specialization, like if you cook Italian, like you better cook Italian, right? Like that yeah. is it's not just one. It's not just spaghetti, you know, like there's a lot of different aspects to those different, you know, food, food ethnicities, right? Those food yeah. pieces. So I think when sometimes we can be limiting our own selves, I think one of the best things that happened, we did these really great trainings, these really great texture trainings within uh, our top educator group with Paul Mitchell. And what was awesome was some of the feedback that we received from some of our stylists who had not had a lot of experience with tight curly hair was that by learning tight curly hair, like learning some of the styling techniques, some of the 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 thought process and how you would weave a color differently based on the curl pattern, because that curl pattern grows out and up rather than just straight down and it falls differently. They actually were expanded, not just in curly hair, not just in coily hair, but they were expanded and they felt that they were they better understood what their why behind why they were doing things with straighter and wavy hair too. So I think it's not necessarily about um I think it it really is just about expanding what you're already specializing in. So you're specializing in cut, you're specializing in color, you're specializing in style, but expanding that. Now definitely I think, you know, I think I said this earlier, I think it's really important that we recognize that there are folks who are going to be, you know, looking for specifically like black salons and I think that's absolutely or black stylists and I think that is it absolutely wonderful thing because that's a that's just a community space that's a safe space that's a that's a camaraderie space that's like you know there's it's a vibe right like it's just it's a whole vibe but i think that also you know limiting a customer limiting a guest to like you can only go to this sort of space i mean it is it they say that you know church and salons are the 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 most segregated places here at least in the united states for sure mm. um and and I think we have room to grow. I don't think it's necessarily like a shame on us. I think it's really like a what's our opportunity to grow? What's our opportunity to look at how we how we view our customers and how we view that base? And I think that for me, when I look at when I'm cra crafting a class, like I really like to look at, OK, so I'm going to teach this haircutting style, but I want to teach mm -hmm. it. I want to show you what are the adjustments. Like if, if I'm teaching a curly cut, what are the adjustments if they want to wear their hair straight? If I'm teaching a straight cut, what are their, what are the adjustments if their hair is wavy? What kind of like, would you use a different wide to wider tooth comb if it was curly? Would you use less tension? Where was your, what's your elevation looking like? Because that's not just teaching you a new cool haircut. That's also teaching you like to expand your thought process on how you cut, you know what I mean? Mm. Okay. Yeah, no, good. I'm liking what you're saying. It, it's also, it's really interesting when you sort of take a big picture overview, overview of, of humanity mm -hmm. in that if you go back, I don't know, a hundred years ago, isn't very long, but go back a hundred years ago. And funny enough, I was just thinking this when I was watching TV this morning, um, uh, in here in, in London, looking at, at this particular guy who was running to become the mayor of some city mm -hmm. and he had a turban on and it's and i was saying to my wife you know he's got an english accent but he's like got a turban you know and, and he was I, i'm not gonna i'm not sure uh, where he was originally or where his family came from um i suppose what i'm saying to you is 100 years ago you would never have seen that and now the world has become a very diverse melting pot of people so here's the interesting thing. If you, if you take that the next stage and you go, well, wow, it's done that within a hundred years, you're sort of an example of this and your kids are an example of this is that if you go back a hundred years ago or 200 years ago, whatever it was, there was a lot more, you were black or you were white. There wasn't a whole lot going on in the middle. And you look at America now, America is well, the whole world is a great melting pot. So what will people look like in a hundred years time, like as the average, do you know what I mean? Because there'll be less pure, you know, I, I hate even using that term, but yes. you know, <laughs> white, uh, and, and, and black, there'll be more of this sort of 
you have to be so careful with the wording you use that, that there'll be more sort of diversity. And that brings me to a question, which I've got completely off track with the things I was going to talk about with you. But I think that this is, this is really interesting because when does, because you very consciously used the word texture before talking about texture here, when does race, ethnicity turn into texture? Because it's sort of related to what I was just saying. It's mm -hmm. that the more like you have naturally coily hair, I'm assuming that your kids do, but are maybe less so than you. Uh, you know, what does that, what, what does that look like? Is different generations sort of morph, et cetera. So, so the question I wanted to ask you is that when is the point where it's not about race and ethnicity, that it is just about texture because of course i work with all sorts of textures of hair mm -hmm. do, do you see do you see what i'm trying to get to yeah yeah absolutely i think you you definitely hit it when you say like it isn't necessarily about race i mean the, there's like there's nuance to like you know just language and 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 you know folks who are trying to attract different you know racial ethnicities into their salons i'm here for it like do that absolutely but mm. be mindful you know, be mindful about that aspect. But when it comes to the technic, the technicalities of doing hair, it is about fine, medium, coarse, the texture. And it yeah. is about that formation. You know, is it is it is it straight? Is it wavy? Is it curly? Is it coily? How many different patterns do people have yeah, in their yeah, head? Yeah. You know, I think mm -hmm. that piece is really the most important part. And that's the place where I feel like we can all kind of come together and really start to understand how servicing yeah, guests because you know i think when we first launched like the curl products back way you know a, a, like a decade or so ago we were talking about how the world is a, probably i think like 70 percent of it is wavy curly and tight curls right like that's what we were looking at so that's 70 percent of the world and i think we've all because of trends and you know fashion and whatnot we've all like i remember i mean i remember the 90s and trying to get my hair bone straight like I wanted to have it look like I had no hair at all. I wanted it to be so close to my head um, with my dark lip, like dark lip liner and my, you know, and my lip gloss because I wanted to look just like <laughs> girls on the videos, right? Like I wanted to look like Lupita. She was so cute. And so for me, that was so, that, that trend was really cool and awesome, but it also yeah. me feeling like I had to put so much more work so much more time, so much more energy, so much more money into making yeah. that trend. And so as we see these trends evolve, I think it's less about one specific look, where one specific texture, like we just taught a training and it was awesome because we really used a lot of different um, textures within our fall trend report to, to showcase the color and the cut and like the, the, the inspirations that people were having from Italy, from Australia, from, from here in the U.S., and it was awesome because we could do each one of those cuts, colors, and styles on straight hair, wavy hair, curly hair, and coily hair. But it was just about the adjustment piece of it. So moving forward, I really do see a lot more education being focused on like a bob, you know, a chin length bob, a squared chin length bob. But how do you adjust it for this, this, yeah. this, and this? And I think that so, that will only benefit a hairdresser. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let me ask you a question about that. Um, would you do that to your hair now? Straighten my hair? Yeah. No. <laughs> Good. No. Um, so it's not like an, it's not like, a, first of all, I love a relaxer. I'm not mad at relaxers. Do them, do them well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hair healthy. Like people yeah. have choices and I'm not mad at them. The reason that I wouldn't do it is because it's too much work for me. It's just too much work. Okay. And my husband told me that, you know, like he's never had an opinion about my hair. I remember one time I, I left with short hair. I left the house with short hair and came home with um, like waist length green braids. And he didn't even yeah. notice. Like he didn't. <laughs> he's just like, hey. And I was like, there's something oh, different dude. here. And he was like, oh, oh yeah. It's really long. And it's green. Oh, it's like, so there's not oh. a lot of like, I don't get a lot of that, but. The one I, I we did we did talk and I said, what's the one thing that you are just like, mm, nah? And he's like, miss me with the straight hair. Like it just it doesn't it doesn't suit me. But that doesn't mean it doesn't suit, you know, 
yeah. a lot of other people. I do silk presses in the salon. It's important that people have that versatility because I think yeah. it's about the individual. No matter what race you are, it is about that individual. And I think because it doesn't matter what race you are, mm. you should be able to, you know, express your hair in in ways that make you feel like your best self. You know, with yeah, great yeah, yeah. and 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 love with for yourself. I think and understanding how it's presented, you do have to like make those choices for yourself. And I think it's something that we all deserve for sure. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. But I was, I was reflecting, if that's the right word, on, you know, why you did that as a kid, young person growing up. Would you do it now? Answers no. And one of the things that you'll sometimes hear people talk about is like, here you are with your locks and we'll talk about locks later on. Um, uh, and, and they look great. You look great with them. But if I had locks and I was walking down the street in certain parts of London, um, you know, or certain parts of anywhere, I imagine I would be confronted by someone saying that is cultural appropriation. Absolutely. Um, that you shouldn't be doing that. And I get confused about that because it's like, it's like, it's like what we just said. If I feel like I want locks because I, I think they look great. Um, then that's what I want. And, and like, why is that cultural appropriation? Which I, which I think it is. Yeah, okay. But, but straightening hair into a little bob for a black lady isn't like that's the question do you see what i mean like and i don't care one way or the other i'm just i just get a bit confused about that i know i was talking to you once about a friend of mine uh here a very good friend of mine uh who's black and if i say the wrong thing around her i get my head ripped off and this would be a great example of getting my head ripped off with this conversation so i'm so you know, glad that you're so open to talking about that. So, so talk to me about that because I love looking at a good silk press. I think it's fantastic, you know? Um, so, you know, what, what are your thoughts about what I've said there? Well, I think that, so for, we'll start with the locks first, like mm -hmm. first and foremost, I think when we think about locks, yes, they do show up in a lot of different cultures and they show up in a lot of different ways, but I think the challenge um, and like one of the things, part of the reason that I consider myself like a hair historian and activist is because I've done a lot of research about where locks come from and how they how they um, how they've evolved. And, and, and specifically when it comes to black people, because in, you know, for sure in the United States, you know, we have the Crown Act. Right. And that that is uh, just really, truly like trying to put legislation in place for for black folks to not can not be discriminated against because of their hair. P.S. It's really sad that we have to do this, but I'm really excited about the Crown Act because the Crown Act really does help to not only just shed a light on it, but also to give education. So yeah. for for me, I think when we think about the reason that it would be that maybe your friend would have a challenge with you saying that, like, I want locks or, you know, that type of thing would be because there are still so many people like myself with locks who get discriminated against, who aren't able to you know, attend schools who aren't able to, you know, wrestle in a in in a wrestling match when uh, there was a story of a young man who had to have his hair cut by his teammates and his coaches because the judge wouldn't let him wrestle. And he won his he won, too. I was like, yes, honey, you but but it was so sad. And I won't lie. When I watched the video, I had a very I had a very like visceral reaction to watching these people cut this child's hair so he could wrestle. Like, it's ridiculous. He had a cap on. Yeah, he yeah. would not. It's not like he was. It, if anything, it would have been a harder thing for him to manage because he would have had that somebody would have had something to grab onto. Anyway, yeah, my that's what I was just thinking. Discrimination yeah. piece. The discrimination piece is largely. Placed upon black folks when it comes to just the way our hair grows out of our head. So that's yeah, where yeah. I see that lock kind of that that the the, the locks aspect of it. And the braids and, and that type of thing, like specific like box braids and cornrows, like those those have a rich history that that have helped you know black Americans stay connected to where we came from 
even though we don't necessarily know exactly where we came from. So there's, and there's still like learning and there's still movement and there's still growing. And there's a serious possibility that I will look back on this interview in 10 years and be like, Mahogany, wow, what have you learned since then? And I think that's the key to keep learning. But as far as why like straightening, you know, black folks straightening their hair or wearing wigs and weaves and that type of thing that gives that straight look, why it is not cultural appropriation is because it was, I mean, again, we'll go back to that historical piece. When Black folks were brought to America, the first thing that happened was they had their head shaved. Yeah. Their head shaved. And they said it was for cleanliness. But also, mm. that's a very dehumanizing thing if that's not something that you're choosing totally. to do yourself. Totally. Right? Yeah. So then, you know, it, there, it, during, during slavery, you know, there was a lot of rules placed upon what you looked like. And it wasn't because they wanted to just like make sure you were happy. It was like people started, you know, slave owners were started to started being judged based on how their enslaved people look. So there were these more rules heaped upon these people to look a certain way. And then, yeah, yeah. you know, during the Jim Crow era, when we, when black people were free here in the United States, it was how do you get these jobs and certain, you know, like that most of the jobs that folks were trying to get at that time um, there. And to, to be fair, there was a lot of people doing a lot of really amazing things. And a lot of people just had to do certain things to survive. So they would have to go work in these white houses. Right. And the, the people who were who were hiring them were looking for a certain thing. They were, again, taking on the I- identity of the person that they worked that that they worked for. So they needed to have their hair smoother in order to to gain access to jobs and money. And some people also on the other side of it, some people were really just like they wanted to be as far removed from slavery with the like the the tw- the, the you know, the quote unquote nappy hair. Right. Like they wanted to move past that and and see themselves differently. And so the yes. evolution of that really, truly is. We were told to straighten our hair. Some people were told to straighten our hair because that's how we were going to be accepted. It was all about assimilation. Um, And there's beauty in that because, again, it took, you know, it took innovation to a whole new level in black hair, which is really beautiful. Um, But sometimes I think it's it would be really nice for for black folks, for me to see innovation not out of necessity, but just out of like inspiration. And I think that, so when, mm-hmm. when I see a beautiful silk press, I don't see someone trying to be white. I just see mm-hmm. them like taking what was something that was expected of them to be presentable. And now it's something that just expresses a different aspect of their personality. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Got it. Okay. Well, that's fantastic. Um, I'm just thinking of something that you told me last time we were talking, uh, which, which just came back into my head, which, which is sort of related to what you are now. And that is about a woman came into the salon and, and screamed out to you, do you braid, honey? Do you do, you do braids? Tell oh, us about that. Call me out knowing how to braid hair. That's so cool. <laughs> I think that's good. I mean, that's, that's a really good example. I mean, I, again, I was thinking back to, uh, again, in the 80s, I mean, I'm old, you know, uh, in the middle of the 80s, I went to a, uh, two of us, uh, we paid to go to a black salon in London. Um, and, you know, there's these two white dudes turn up and we're going into this black salon for a day, spend a day there with them. Uh, you know, we paid to, to, to have a training there. And it was amazing. But like, I just walked away thinking there's just, it was a totally different world in terms of the hair. A, a lot of it were cornrows and, and uh, you know, chemical relaxers. Straight. It was just, it, it was so foreign to how I worked and what I did. I was so full of appreciation for it. But, um, yeah, you made me laugh when you said that, that you couldn't break because I can at least break. I braid, but I'm not so like there are so many gifted braiders. Like we have okay, some yeah. really gifted braiders within our training team, like Nike Blount, watch out. Like I will watch yeah. her braid all day. 
But yeah. I think one of the challenges is, is like for me, it was not something that I grew up with. And it's not something yeah. that we teach in school. I mean, or when I went to beauty school, it's not something we were teaching. We were taught. We were taught how to do a French braid. We were taught how to do like an or an inside out braid, that type of thing. But it was always on straight hair. It was all really big hair. Like we never had that focus. And the only time that I ever really had the opportunity to learn anything having to do with black folks hair was from the other peers that I had in my class. Like the um, Tanisha was definitely this. She was the a year or a class ahead of me. And so she was kind of my little mentor and she was always on something. And so she taught me how to do a cornrow, a horizontal cornrow so that I could sew in a weave. Sure. Yeah. But it's going to be covered up. Nobody's going to see it. It's like, yeah, it's going to yeah. be tight. Yeah. So it's just <laughs> off. It's not pretty. So like I can do that and I can box braid. Um, yeah. I mean, growing up, like you said, you know, I definitely had a lot of challenges with my own hair for a lot of reasons. Um, yeah. Not just like growing up with a white mom, but like truly just, I think, you know, as I see my kids now, you know, they're, they're 12 and 15. So, whew, you know, there's just like hormones and life and everybody has like those transitional years that are really tough. Um, my transitional years showed up all over my hair. Like I was, yeah. you know, that, that was just really, you could tell that that was the happening thing for me, that that was the thing that was tough for me. So in like seventh grade, was it seventh grade? Yeah, seventh grade, middle school, right? Well, worst years. Um, yeah. One of my friends finally just was like, girl, because I had been picked on about my hair for years, like dry, sad. I would try to have relaxers. And my mom's bestie totally went to classes. She did like you. She went to a different black salon throughout the Twin Cities to try to help learn about my hair. And so when Denise did my hair, it was beautiful. But when I had to do my hair, she didn't know how to teach me how to do my hair. So fast forward to grade and like I have a relaxer, but it's puffy and it's dry and I don't know how to iron it properly. Um, All of those things. And my friend Myla she was like, let me get you together. Like, she's like, I want you to go to the beauty supply store. I want you to get this grease. I blew magic. Um, I want you to get um, this many packs of braiding hair. Number two, because you're not black. You just, you need, your hair is a little lighter. So you need a number two. I want you to get this comb, this, you know. And so she, she, she box braided my hair. Back in the day, we called them dookie braids, which is hilarious um, because they were big and thick. And it was like Janet Jackson from, yeah. Uh, from poetic justice. Like it was awesome. Yeah, I love it. And it was yeah, the first yeah. time that I looked at myself and I was like, that, that's what I look like. This is what yeah. I want to look like. I had the salt and pepper haircut back before that. I had an afro. I had a jerry curl. I, I mean, I had every hair because I was trying to find myself. But when I first got my hair box braided like yeah. that, that's when I saw myself as like a person that I wanted to see myself as. Which I yeah. think is why I've ended up with locks for so long. Um, but it was truly, and it was not just the hair, but it was like sitting on Myla's bed, having her like grease my scalp and like section out these beautiful sections. And she had like, there's sacred geometry going on here. Cause she had like the bottom half of my head was one leg, but the top half of my head was longer. So that when I wore it up in a ponytail, cause you know, it was the late eighties, early nineties. So when I wore the top half up, half down, it would all come to the same length. I was like, yes, Myla. So then she taught me how to braid my own hair. So that was something that was like, not only did I have a beautiful style, like Denise would give me beautiful styles, but Myla was able to teach me how to do my own hair. So she empowered me to like do that. And so I spent most of my teen years you know, going from braids to, you know, twists to, you know, all types of things. So I can do those things, but just don't ask me to do any like Fulani braids with like cute tightness. I got people for that. I got references for that. (laughs) I've got it. I've got it. Okay. So yeah, it's interesting that because, you know, thinking back to my experience going into a black salon 30 years ago, whatever it is, it was a different job. And so it sort of goes full circle now with what we were talking about at the beginning. Like anyone should, I, I walked out on that salon with a, with an understanding that what I'd just witnessed was so completely different to where my skill sets were. It was like a totally different job. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Working with hair like that. Uh, beautiful, but it was like, that's not what I'm been made for. Just like doing color wasn't what I've been made for doing bridal hair isn't what I've been made for, you know? 
but but that's that's really interesting. You, we I touched on this and I didn't really explain it. I said we'll get to it later. Uh, you keep saying the word locks, and yes. um, you know we had a little discussion before we you know came on this live, and I, I learned something that is really intriguing. Uh, so talk to us about that, about why you refer to them as locks. Well, so for me, and again, this is just, this is me, right? Like there, yeah. I have a lot of black friends who say dreadlocks and dreads. And I mean, it's definitely a personal thing, but I think one of the journeys over this last few years um, is I really like to learn the history behind hairstyles. Like that to me was mm. huge. Um, and I think that when I, there's one particular book that shared a story about um, when the British colony were, were colonizing Jamaica in particular, there were British uh, soldiers who had like who were calling the the locks that the Jamaicans had dreadful. And so I think when you think about it like that and also. It doesn't this was a long time ago, we can move past these things in. Yeah. But but for some people, it is a trigger. And so yeah. I use locks it. because it doesn't. Yeah. For me, that's not triggering anyone that that that, mm -hmm. that to me is a very accurate representation. It is a lot. Um, but also yeah. it takes some of the pain away because I think that there are still pain points when we talk about, you know, I mean, there's just pain points for black folks when it comes to our hair because it has been so scrutinized. It has been so, so challenged over the years. And when I when when we think about like our perspective, right? We, we went to beauty school, we learned these cuts, we did these things. And then, you know, if you were lucky enough to have a Tunisia in your world, you had like an access to a different way of styling, like working with a hot yeah. comb. I never worked with a hot comb. I didn't have a Nana who did a hot comb. Right? That was not me. That was not my life. <laughs> I, so when I got to work with hot combs for the first time, I was like, but now I can hot comb anybody. Like it just took practice. Yeah. And I think that, that willingness and that love that we have for folks to 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 not only learn the techniques um, and then decide whether or not that's something you want to do in the salon. But if you learn it and you decide yeah. you don't want to do it, that's different than just being like, I don't need to know that. I don't need to know yeah. that. That doesn't mean to me because that is excluding not only people from your salon, but that's excluding like a whole thought process from your salon that actually could benefit you as a hairdresser. Um, and I think that part of it, too, is, yes, technique. But there's that that thoughtfulness and that mindfulness about the language that we use. Language matters. It really does. Like I well, used the term happy earlier and I actually kind yeah. of feel terrible about it. Like I really it's a it's a gross term. I mean, it's a term that like within black folks, we can say these things. But like it is okay. a term that not used under normal circumstances. Well, um, that's a, there's a really good example uh, that that we both speak English, mm -hmm. but nappy is not a word that we use. What, do you know what a nappy? Do you know what a nappy is? It's a diaper. Diaper. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we don't use the word diaper. Like it's a, that's an Americanism. Diaper. Uh, we use the word nappy. So when you said it, I was like, I wonder what she means by that. Do you know what I mean? But but there was an interesting thing you said then. Well, there's lots of interesting things you said, and, and you said that dread dreadlocks is a trigger. It's a painful trigger. And that is what's so important with so much of, of the conversation, not just that we're having, but the dialogue about black hair, white hair, or black and white people, et cetera, is that there are certain words that are maybe said completely innocently, like saying dreadlocks. Who would have thought? I would never, if you hadn't told me that in a million years, I would never have guessed that that might have been a, 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 a pain trigger. So, so thank you for uh, enlightening me as to what the background of that is. Um, we've been talking about this all the time, <laughs> but we haven't even sort of got to the bit that I was going to talk about, which is, you know, you call yourself a hair historian and activist. And, and I suppose you've been being a hair historian and activist for the last 30 minutes because we've just jumped straight in the deep end talking about all this stuff, <laughs> which is great. It's fantastic. I'm loving the conversation. Um, can I ask you? Do you ever get, well, first of all, do you ever get tired of talking about race? And secondly, uh, what, what does a hair historian and activist even mean? Okay. So to answer your first question, absolutely. I mean, but 
that is also the place that I've put myself in. Um, it, it is something that is important to me because I feel like there are lots of different perspectives out there. And I think that that's one of the things that I think is really important when we're talking about race is that like black people are not a monolith, right? Like there's, we are all different. We are just as, there is not like a meeting where we all get together and we all decide like what we all think, what we all feel, how we are, like that is not real. And I think you laugh, but I swear that is like how, you know, especially in, you know, especially in education, when you are learning about something new and you have preconceived notions, people will ask a lot of questions that are that that might be, like you said, completely innocent in their ignorance, but it could be a trigger or a pain point for someone. So for me, when I'm in an education space, I don't get tired of talking about it. When I'm in an education space, I know that this is why I'm here. This is what it is. But finding that that, that boundary and placing it like if we're at dinner and you want to talk about that, I may tell you I'm not ready to talk about that. And that's for mm. me to decide, right? So that part mm. is, is and, and people need to be able to say, oh, right on, thank you. Because it yeah. does take a lot of emotional labor. It does take a okay. lot of like excess, yeah. you know, yeah. um, energy to put forth that type of um, conversation. And I love that it comes in all the different ways. Like it can be light, it can be fun. It can be interesting. And people, and a lot of that has to do with how it's delivered, but also how it's received. So like, if there's like with us, you know, we've got this back and forth and it's really beautiful, but sometimes, you know, people are different, like they just deliver in different ways. And like, mm -hmm. I love, I personally love super direct. Like when people, when I need to learn something, I love when people are very direct with me. Like Mahogany, mm -hmm. that's not it. Let's look at it this way. And you're like, oh, okay, thank you. And it's that thank you that I feel like, you know, you were saying about your friend, the fact that she actually will say those, like, will talk to you about that means that they, she cares about the friendship, right? Like, oh, if yeah, she yeah. cares about the friendship, yeah. she wouldn't tell you. She'd be like, oh, cool. Bye, Anthony. Like, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> that's what I would do. Yeah, yeah. If I didn't care about the friendship, I'd be like, whatever, bye. That's just your opinion. And you can go on, be stupid, and somebody else can teach you that lesson. But sure. I... So in the race aspect, that's where it comes from. And part of the reason that that has become part of my identity as a hairdresser um, is because I really, you know, I think a lot of us built up some, some new hobbies during the, uh, during the various shutdowns throughout the world over COVID. But mine was really tied into what we were doing because immediately Paul Mitchell started doing like videos because we were on lockdown, but I wanted to do something different. I wanted to like break out of like the traditional cuts and colors that I had been sharing, you know? And so for me, it was something like, what are we now interested in? What's new and exciting? What's interesting? And for me, I always like to go back no matter what I'm doing. I like to like see, I'm very inspired by my grandparents who were, who were, you know, restaurant, restaurateurs who totally owned restaurants and did, they, they worked really hard. Um, so I always look back to them as like a, a reference for myself moving forward. Like, what am I into? So I started reading a lot more about texture and started reading um, and, and, and watching videos. But I started reading about the history behind Black people and our hair. Because mm. again, when you don't grow up with something, you lose access to it. And for me, it was really important to gain that because I had recognized during that time, as a lot of us have, that there was some anti-Blackness in the way that I was doing my life, right? Like, and, and so when I started to read and grow and expand, it was something that was hard, but also I wanted to be able to share it because I felt so much better as I was moving through it. I realized that I was doing harm in ways that I didn't mean to. So, but who cares if you mean to, you, it, you know, intent versus, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it can be, it can just be really different. So for me, learning about the history, understanding, you know, not just we began at slavery, but like where that hair came from, like, you know, the different tribes in Africa all through, uh, specifically like West Africa, I think I'm not going to say all of Africa, but specifically through West Africa, there were so many like shapes and 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 
and styles that not just denoted like what tribe you were from, but also like who you were in the tribe, like when you were ready to get married, you know, if you were in mourning, what your age group was, like who who you were in in the tribe, like it really helped you to be a like a visual representation of who you were. And that you can see that so much now in black culture. You can see just like, I mean, definitely like I'm a like I'm a hippie black girl. Like that's exactly what I am. I'm like a goofy hippie black girl. You can tell by the way that I look. But then you can like look at John Mosley, right? Our, our artistic director for Paul Mitchell. Like that dude is not a hippie, right? Like because you see his, you see the way that he rolls. You see his, his yeah, the way yeah. that he expresses himself through his hair. So I think that it's 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 so beautiful that we still like culturally have that. Um, and it's so wonderful to see where it comes from. And so that right. piece is why I started doing the hair historian. Was, was I, th I forget the exact words you used, but you were sort of giving me the feeling that you were saying that you said something about doing harm to my blackness or something. I forget, I forget how you said it, but it made me think that, that are you saying that you're sort of caught in between because you have a white mole. So are you black or are you white? You're sort of caught yeah. in the middle of these two things. And that sometimes your identity goes, you know, Hey girl, you know, who are you? What are you? You're, you're, you're selling yourself out here. You're, do you know what, do you know where I'm coming from? Absolutely. And I think that one of the challenges that a lot of like folks like myself who are, who are multiracial, like we do, mm. you know, we, we have, we have a lot of questions and nuance and not everybody, you know, like some people have like totally balanced and beautiful relationships with both sides of their family and every, they get to enjoy all the culture and that's awesome. And yeah. also, which is what I'm trying to do with my family. Mm -hmm. And also we can do harm with our ignorance, right? Like we can take our own experience of not knowing and we can do harm to our black family our black counterpart mm -hmm. by placing all of the emphasis on who we are and our confusion and our you know un not understanding and taking away from the real harm that is done to black people the the deep scrutinization of their hair yeah, yeah. deep scrutinization yeah. of their life and that piece is and that's what i mean by doing harm by by you know not recognizing our own you know multiracial privilege like yes mm. i grew up black for sure and yes i was followed in stores and all of the things but i had access to a lot of different things because people would allow my mom into spaces and she could bring me with right like so right. i had okay. a yeah, lot yeah, yeah. of privilege in that and and so what i recognized was that i hadn't been using my privilege to uplift black people i had just been kind of sitting around feeling sorry for myself and so yeah it was hard for me to like recognize that, but now yeah. I have, and I'm, and again, like I said, I'm going to learn from this from, for sure. Like I will probably rewatch this in a couple of years and be like, huh, yeah, okay. Wow. Mahogany, that was, yeah, that was great. Cool. Okay. Um, but me that's, too. I, I'll, probably, I'll probably watch it in half an hour and think the same about me. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that's, that's evolution. And so yeah. the opportunity that I have now to like uplift, you know, black stylists and black educators to yeah. you know support them to shout their names from the rooftop because i think a lot of times when we you know one of the one of the challenges that i've seen was specifically within our industry is you know we have a lot of people who are like i can do any texture now like that's the new thing like i'm on so i can do any texture but then you also don't see that equity in like the education for example mm -hmm. Right. Like you don't see a lot of we're, we are starting to see more black educators, but like, why didn't we see them before? <clears throat> yeah. Me. Yeah. Like where and 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 why are you only asking black educators to do black hair? Like Naima yeah. LaFont, one of my very favorite stylists yeah. in the whole wide world. And she is so well versed in all hair and she shows it in her portfolio. And that is yeah. so important. Paula Peralta, you know, she. She is a, you know, an, a gifted hairstylist. And I think it's mm. really wonderful to see her being celebrated in these beautiful way ways because it's it's not just like her work with black hair. It's it's that she's just a really great hairdresser. And I think when we start to look at 
you know, mm-hmm. a bigger balance. And we start to see more people like Regine Valsine, when we start to see Angelica Thomas, when we start to see these really incredible, you know, people, Corey Bacon, Larry, you know, James, like all of these people are so talented. And it's so wonderful when you see people like John and Paula, who are artistic directors, pulling them up and putting them forward to create mm-hmm. like, more right like we're always looking for new and trends and this and that when it comes from different perspectives and if we are always the same people for different perspectives we're always going to get the same answers but i love that we're expanding a little bit more to see how we can reach and touch everybody instead of you know just one note um I know we're running out of time, which is a shame because I'm loving this conversation, but one of the things I wanted you to talk about is not even really a direct question. It's just sort of an observation. You, you touched on, you were talking about, I think you talk about hot combs and stuff. And you said something about, I didn't have a nan that did that. I didn't grow up like that. And then you were talking about your friend and you said something about, you know, she sat me down on the bed and we did this, that, and the other to your hair, you know, and there's a there's a different sort of um what am I trying to say? It's sort of less about the salon. There's a there's a real uh tradition about doing hair, a family thing, a growing up thing. Your mom does your hair. You know, like just as much as when you talk about the black barbershop. I mean, I love the black barbershop, the culture. That is in the black barbershop, you know, just the barbershop. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a whole nother thing. And I'm not just talking about what you see in the movies, you know, it has a different energy and culture and like literally a different purpose to it. Uh, and as I said, when you were talking about your experiences, this is of, of, I couldn't help, but, but picking up on that, just, just talk to us about that for a minute. And then I want to touch on some, some uh, stuff about products. Absolutely. I think that, you know. Like I said, my, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a Nana to do my hair that way. My mom did not have, you know, the same skill set, but like, bless her heart, she did learn how to, she did learn how to cornrow. And I mean, she did her darndest. I'm going to give her that. <laughs> but it was also the eighties and girls weren't really wearing cornrows at that time the same way, yeah, yeah, at least yeah. in Minnesota. So like, I got made fun of, like it's, it is what it is. Um, and I think that that tradition of growing up and having that hair knowledge is really, is really special. And it also like helps you to know, like to get to know yourself in a different way. Um, so I think it speaks to like, like that, like, I, I think it makes sense that I didn't really see myself very clearly until I, I had an experience like that with my friend braiding my hair and like yeah. giving me this like moment of like, culture that I had not like I grew up yeah. in a very very white culture um, yeah. I mean I'm in Minnesota we're Scandinavian and German up here we're we're starting to get a lot more different types of people but it's still true yeah. I mean it's still very it's still very white focused and I think that you know those those places can be really special because they really help to shape your identity and shape how you view the world and shape how you view yourself um But I also think that there is so much as we move forward, you know, I think it's not even just necessarily about like biracial people or multi-ethnic people. I think we are just like living closer together, like the population is growing. So we do have, you know, like Vietnamese neighbors next to, you know, Ghanaian neighbors next to, you know, Cambodian neighbors next to, you know, Puerto Rican neighbors. And so I think that that piece of it like we are influencing each other on these really beautiful levels. And I think that when we allow that influence to like really flourish, that's where we're going to see the innovation from inspiration in the future. Like that's when we start to see those pers- those perspectives as valid and, and, and beautiful, because maybe, maybe somebody did grow up in a, in a salon or in not in a salon world, but like grew up doing hair they have value. Their, their value is because they've been braiding since they were 12, you know, or since they were five yeah, or yeah, since yeah. they were six. Like my friends, Dre yeah. and Marla, they've been braiding since they were tiny, yeah. which is why they are incredibly talented. Yeah. 
incredibly. I, I suppose that I suppose the thing I I wanted to get at was that it's you you said it you said it was a cultural moment that you'd never had, and that is what like there isn't an equivalent in for white people like I like that I don't think there is it's like it's like a cultural moment going to a salon or your mum doing your you know cutting your bangs in the kitchen but, or whatever but maybe you know, there is but maybe yeah, there is like. Think about okay. it. Like, well, for example, like I would go to my grandma, like when I would go to my grandma's salon, like I would take her to the salon so she would get her hair done once a week. Right. So you get her mm. little, get her little roller set on and be cute and cute and like sit under the hood dryer and then get it picked out. And then she started bringing my mom to the salon. Right. Like mm. that's that. Like, so she would get her hair done once a week. Then she started bringing my mom to the salon. And so it's like, it's, it's almost like a familial experience. Right. So in that mm. way, she had the opportunity to show her like something, you know, about grooming, show, show her something about expressing herself. Like this is what the ladies do. Um, and I mean, again, this was like in the fifties. So, you know, mm. like there, you know, this is what ladies do. You weren't do. even alive in the fifties. Right. <laughs> but like, I got a lot of stories from my nanas and my mama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so like, yeah. it's that cultural aspect, right? Like that, mm -hmm. that may not be a white people culture, but it is definitely like a culture yeah. That yeah. you see like that family dynamic where like, I know that, you know, so my kids don't have to go anywhere to get their hair done. But like, if they did, you know, their dad yeah. would probably take them to the barber shop, right? That's yeah. like that. That's where they would go. And so I think that there's, it's it's beautiful because there's like really amazing commonalities through all the cultures in like, how do you know where to go? Well, you go where your mom went and then you find out maybe that's not the right place for you. But then you start to find other places as you move through your life. Um, yeah. or you went to the barbershop with your dad, that's how you got that cultural aspect. Um, and it, it, and to me, when I see like the commonalities are so much larger and more important than the differences, but the differences have a bigger impact when they are done without mindfulness, right? Like yeah. those different, when we are not thoughtful and mindful about how we carry them out or how we dissect them, how we move forward with them, like just just language, right? Like, you know, um, you were saying, you know, talking about products, like I love working with a multitude of different products that sometimes people are not necessarily, they're like, that's not a black product. Well, 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 that's what I wanted to ask here. Just to, mm -hmm. you know, as we start to wrap up is how different are, I, I was always under the, you know, impression that, that you know, black hair had different products. You mentioned something. You said blue something or other. Some blue magic. Wax yeah. or blue magic. <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? Like that's a typical example of, of yeah. like, you know, that ain't no Paul Mitchell prop uh, product. No, blue magic. no. But do you know what I mean? It's like, so that's what I'm trying to get to there is, is how different are, are black hair products? Uh, and because I know that you love Paul Mitchell products and you use all Paul Mitchell products doing black hair. So mm -hmm. I, and I was a bit um, surprised that, uh, you know, what's the right, I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to say that those products work on black hair. Of course they work on black hair, you know, um, but I, I, mean, I was a bit surprised that they are the, your go-to product because they don't only work, they work brilliantly on black hair. I mean, obviously like any range of products, there's, there's some pomades and stuff I'd use on my hair. There's some I would never use on my hair. You know, so, so just talk to us about that before we have to wrap up. Anthony, you said it. That's exactly it. We're not, we don't make products for skin color. We make products for hair types. Like that's how mm. that is. That's just like what we do. That's what, you know, like hairdressers, we curate our products around the guests that sit in our chair, right? So for me, I have a lot of fine haired guests with curly to coily hair. Um, and so for me, Palmitchell works really well. Um, certain, certain products work really well because I'm, I, it's like, I need the right tool to execute the right, you know, look. Um, so for me, there aren't necessarily, I mean, and yes, there are, I mean, you can, I'm not going to lie and be like, there aren't black hair, per, hair care products versus white hair care products versus blah, 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 which I also think mm. is kind of crazy that we say like black and white when there's like literally hundreds of thousands of other cultures around that, but it's just yeah. black and white. Um, yeah, yeah. but I think when we stop looking at the skin tone, like the skin yeah. tone and, and the ethnicity comes into play in how we deliver, how we create, how we, you know, imbibe the, or in how we vibe in the culture of our salon. That's where that mm -hmm. matters. 
Like, what images do you have up in your salon? Do they welcome like people of different cultures? Do, you know, that type of stuff is where like the language that you use, the, 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 the selection of products that you have is not really the language you use is important. The selection of products that you have, if you know how to use them and you know the why behind it and you understand like why this texture is going to need a little bit heavier muscle product in order to get the look that we're going for, whether it's a twist out, a silk press or, you know, or um, box braids. If you have the right products, you can do those if you understand how to use the products properly, specifically on the texture and the formation that you're working with. Um, I think for a long time, too, we've had, you know, the natural hair community um, and no shade on the natural hair community. But like the natural hair community came from just like a lot of like consumers. Right. Like that's where coat washes came from. It was because consumers were where we're using conditioner rather than shampoo, because that shampoo was like really stripping all of the oil out of their hair. So they started using conditioner to cleanse their hair and their, you know, curls were smoother and everything was more moisturized. But still. P.S. If you're using co-washes, my friends, please, 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 once a month, at least clarify that hair. Just that's my little PSA. And just please clarify your hair. Scalp needs you. Scalp health is really important. Um, but truly, I think that, you know, products are products are just tools for us to play with the hair. Right. That's yeah. what they are. Tools for us to play with the hair. And if you know what your products can do and what they can do, you wouldn't ask, a, you know, you wouldn't ask. A, a tissue to do a sponge's job, right? It, it just wouldn't yeah, yeah. work. Be asking it to do something that it's not capable of. Um, and, and vice versa. If you try, I mean, you could do it, but it might be a little too extra. So knowing how to work, knowing what those products work best on and, and knowing what that hair type you're working on is, what, what the texture is, what the goal is, what the formation is, that is far more important to me when I'm working with products than whether or not I bought it, you know, specifically for black people or specifically for literally anybody else. Yeah. Okay. This has been fantastic. I've, I've, uh, I had a whole list of things where we're going to, we're going to talk about sold sweets. We we're going to talk about <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, commission sales. We're going to talk about all sorts of stuff, but I've loved what we've been talking about. It's been fantastic. I've learned so much. And, uh, It'll be really interesting to see uh, what our audience have got to say and what input they've got. So, uh, Mahogany, I just want to say thank you so much for for being so uh, open and honest and, uh, uh, what's the word, with me, tolerant. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, because it's it's important. It's so good to have these conversations, you know, to sort of broaden your perspective and understanding of, on the history of everything, because I, I, I loved hearing all that. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And and honestly, Anthony, thank you for um, for being open to receive it, because it's one thing to like be able to deliver it. But I think a, a lot of times when we are hearing things that can be triggering or the, that can be like, I don't I, I didn't know, like we can yeah. be really no matter what the topic is we can kind of close down a little bit. So I wanted to thank you for being super open to like receiving it because that's just as important as like, cool, you know, being honest about it. Thanks. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to have to get together another time to talk about these other things. Absolutely. Um, So uh, until then, Mahogany Plouts. So (laughs) nice to have this opportunity to talk to you one more time. Okay. All right. Okay. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.